Before we get to this week's episode, there's a new series in town that everyone's talking about. We Own This City. We Own This City is a high-intensity cop drama centered around the Baltimore Police Department's Gun Trace Task Force. Now, they're responsible for keeping crime and drugs off the street, but of course, there's internal corruption and plenty of plot twists also at play. Starring John Bernthal and from the writers of The Wire, it is not one to be missed. That's We Own This City, all episodes available to stream on now. Plot twists. We're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story where it takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, comedy and impressions lover. And I'm Fran, super fan of reality TV and rom-coms. And we're from now. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. So our guest this week is Miriam Margulies. Super exciting. And not only is she a fabulous actress, but as a person, Fran, as a guest on talk shows, she Mm. is simply gold dust. Yeah, she's the sort of person who not only is fascinating and incredible to watch on screen when she's performing, but as Mm. you say, when she's featuring on a talk show, like I have watched her in many YouTube holes on the Graham Norton show, I have to confess. So naughty, so cheeky. <laughs> and it is almost like those sort of antics and those, that storytelling, it's opened her up to a whole new audience. I mean, we've got TikTok now. She's a, she's a TikTok star. Yeah. I mean, I might be revealing my age a little bit here, but I'm only a recent TikToker. And I definitely over-index in terms of probably the average age of people who are using TikTok. <laughs> but it feels like it's probably opened her up to new audiences that might not be less aware of her mm. acting work but again i just fascinated and love her and if you're like me you're not on tiktok yet and more aware of, of her because of her acting credentials fran um the age of innocence won a bafta opposite daniel day lewis mm. that was a big moment in her career she's famed for her work in the theater and actually started out in audio she's a very gifted impressionist but there's mm. probably I'm thinking of you, Fran. There's probably a certain role that stands out more than anything Yeah, I'll, else. I'll, I'll mm. take over the reins yeah, on this one because Miriam Margulies <laughs> is, of course, Professor Sprout in Harry Potter. And as listeners of the podcast will know, I'm a big fan of the old HP. Watched every single film that's available now multiple times. Named my cat um, after Albus Dumbledore. Um, but we won't go too wax lyrical <laughs> on that Dumbledore. one. Albus Dumbledore. But you were riding solo on this one. So um, mm. it was interesting because Miriam Margulies is not only witty and fun and cheeky, but she's very intelligent, Tom. I reckon she could she's swipe you off your cookie. feet at any given moment in this interview. Let's let's tell it like it is. I, I didn't stand a chance. Yeah, so I was going to say, I've got very low hopes for this one. <laughs> well, okay. Well, on that note, it's Miriam Margulies <laughs> on the Plot Twist podcast. Good luck. Oh, Miriam, absolutely thrilled to have you on Plot Twist. Thank you so much for coming on. And of course, happy birthday for last week. I know, I'm 81. Fucking amazing. <laughs> Did you do anything nice? Was there any uh, any nice celebrations? I had some friends for lunch, just two two nice gay boys. My partner and me, 
and it was lovely. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, that's lovely. It feels like in, in recent years, probably through Graham Norton, social media, that there's this sort of viral fame that you have that's exploded. How, how do you feel about that? that? I'm completely bewildered by it. I don't understand <laughs> at all why I should be, you know, known to the younger generation. It's It's completely bewildering to me that all these people, and they write to me now and want me to do these cameos for them. And they always say, you know, please fart, please swear, <laughs> please tell funny stories. And I don't, I don't really do that sort of thing, you know. I mean, I fart when I feel a fart coming on, but I can't invent a fart. So I don't quite know what I'm supposed to do. But anyway, it's very sweet that they know me and I'm very touched by it. But it's bewildering. Can you understand why they love you? No. I can't understand it at all. I'm an outspoken, slightly testy old lady. I'm quite friendly, I think. I'm just bewildered by mm. it, honestly. But it's very nice. It's very nice. Your book came out six months ago. I absolutely adore it. And I think probably from watching you on Graham Norton, and there probably was an expectation with the book in terms of the sort of stories that might be in it. And they are in there, and we might come to that later. But there's also... I think for me, you're somebody that is fueled by curiosity, and there is an innate kindness to you. Yes, I think, that, I think that, that shines through. They are both. They are both true. I am a kind person, and I I think kindness is extremely important. Cannot be overrated as a quality. And um, I think I am genuinely friendly. So that's all true. Well, I, yeah, I'll come to. I think there's some stories that you say probably really emphasise why that was so important to share that kindness and, that, you know, that love. I wanted to throw some random questions at you, if that's okay. Random away. One I've asked before that I really enjoy is, what's the best gift you've ever received? I think it was a first edition of The Christmas Carol. Oh, wow. Which was given to me by Ryan Tuppety, who's a chat show host in Ireland. And it was absolutely thrilling to receive because you have a real love for dickens don't you yes i do i think anybody would if they really knew dickens if they really concentrated on the work and got to know the work as i've done as i've been able to do in my life i think he's an extraordinary writer and i love uh, i love revisiting them all i mean i've read them all now i read them again you've traveled a lot over the last few years and actually indeed throughout your your whole career has there been a place that sort of stood out? Perhaps you had a, a preconception, but actually it exceeded your your expectations, your initial thoughts? I love India, and going to India was one of the highlights of my life. I've been several times now, and I can't get enough of it. It's a beautiful, surprising, threatening country. Wonderful, interesting. I love it. It must be quite diverse from place to place, I imagine. I've never been, but... It is, it is, of course, incredibly diverse, and I've only seen a bit of it. I want to see all of it, but it is stunning and beautiful. The people are beautiful. It's, it's a place where there is poverty, of course, but there's so much besides poverty. You can't let that overcome you. Am mm. I allowed to pick my nose? I do love it you, so. No, please do, please do. Thank you. <laughs> the listeners can't see. Um, That's a good thing. You, um, you did a big American adventure a few years ago. 
that that must have been quite an interesting experience because you met obviously a lot of Trump supporters, didn't you? And yes, they're nuts. They're complete nutcases, all of them. I don't understand that Trump thing. To me, he's um, he's completely vile. I can't bear him. I can't bear the people that support him and think that he won. It's an aberration. And it troubles me about America because an awful lot of people have that opinion and they're all wrong. Trump didn't win the election and it would be a very good thing if he weren't there at all. But you, when you met some of the people, you were, quite, you were still quite, I wouldn't say open-minded because it clearly hasn't changed your opinion and nor should it. But you were willing to have that sort of open conversation and try and understand. Maybe it goes back to that kindness piece. I think it's important to be able to talk to people that you disagree with profoundly. Because if we don't talk to them, we're going to end up enemies. And we can't let that happen. So I try to understand. I try. And, and I don't let them see how disgusted I am. It's important. We have to, we have to find a way to deal with the opposite, the other. And I haven't found a way yet, but I, I try to keep the conversation going. I want to throw some names at you, Miriam, and get a few words. Yes, uh, how interesting. Let me just throw them at you. I just want to see how you respond. Martin Scorsese. Very intense, delightful, great artist. Michelle Pfeiffer. A beautiful woman with a sense of humour. I, I love that when you, you approached her for the first time, you said, hello, fatty. <laughs> I did. I said, hello, fatty, because I knew that she must be so bored with people hanging open-mouthed at her beauty. So I felt that if I said hello, fatty, it would um, be a more real exchange. She laughed anyway, which was nice. That's the main thing, isn't it? Yes. John Cleese. John Cleese. Complete shit. <laughs> the Kardashians. I'm not quite sure who they are. Aren't they a Persian family or something? <laughs> well, they're quite a well-known... Um... I've so. never seen them on television, um, but they seem... That's not a bad thing. They seem to have uh, very big bottoms. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's their main feature, but I really don't know what they do, so I'm a bit lost with the Kardashians. I think a lot of people ask that question, Miriam. Will I am? Oh, he was a love. I've only met him a couple of times, but what a delightful gentleman. Very intelligent. He's, he's a smart cookie. You've collaborated with a lot of people in your career. Is there anyone that you've sort of worked with, I guess more in acting terms here, where they've sort of exceeded your initial expectation? I loved working with Jeremy Irons uh, in a film called Being Julia. He's a very fine actor and a very generous actor, and he taught me a lot about how to act for the screen and where to put your face and how to think about acting for the screen. Very... Very interesting man. Yeah, he's, a, he's a fine actor. Let me ask you first plot twist question, Miriam. Many times in the theatre, in TV and film, there's been many plot twists in, in some of the activities that you've done. And it's, I guess it's a plot twist is where the audience, they, they don't necessarily see something coming, but it can change the story. What would be your biggest plot twist? Do you mean in a, in a professional sense or in a personal sense? In, in any sense. Well, I suppose it would be when I met my partner. Because within seconds of meeting her, I was ravished from top to toe. 
and I knew <laughs> that I would love her till I died. And I have. 54 years, isn't it? That's yes, quite... it is. 54 years now. Oh, oh, wonderful. It, it is wonderful. Uh, it's quite rare and, and very special. Would you have believed that before? Because I'm interested in that because I haven't met that one person and it's always that, that maybe it's a romantic thought, but the idea that, oh, that person will come along and you will just know. Would you have believed that before meeting Heather? No, probably I wouldn't. I, I would have thought that's a bit far-fetched. But it, when it actually happened and I clapped eyes on her... I I was fascinated and interested, and then I was totally smitten. Didn't take long. <laughs> Did you think in those first few moments that then you would share a life together, or were you just simply infatuated? Well, I didn't think about the detail of our relationship and how it would proceed. I just knew that this was the one, and I hoped that... You know, we'd, we'd go to bed and stay in bed, and actually we did, so that was good. What would be Miriam's tip for a you know, long-lasting love, that sort of relationship? Look at people with your eyes. Look at them fully, and then never let them go. Gosh, how beautiful. I love that. We'll come back to Heather because obviously it's such an important part of your life. But um, I want to talk about growing up. And I think quite, you must have been about 15, 16, you then fall in love with the theatre. And was that, was that, were you then set then that that was going to be your life? You know, that would be a, a huge part of your life, you know, acting and. No, you know, it, it for... wasn't at all. I didn't know that I was going to um, become an actress. It, it it never seemed a real possibility. It was only after university that I really decided that that's what I wanted to do and did it. But um, before that, I didn't really know what I was going to do. The future seemed amorphous and far away and not possible to get hold of. You're doing, like, you're doing door to door sales, aren't you? You're encyclopedias for a couple of years. I sold encyclopedias from door to door when I left university because I had nothing else to do. I didn't know what else I could do. And I had expected to be acting with a, a group from Cambridge around Europe, but the whole thing exploded in our faces. I've never quite forgiven Tony Palmer, who was at that time the man who was going to make it happen. I've never forgiven him because it all fell to bits. And there we were, just stranded on our first morning away from Cambridge with nothing ahead of us, nothing to do. That was a couple of years, right? Yes. It, um, I don't know if I actually sold encyclopedias for a couple of years. I think I probably sold them for about six months. And then I decided to go to London and uh, do market research, which is similar sort of work, but um, it was easier. And I was working with people, which I quite liked. I don't like being on my own. You wrote, to, is, it, is it John Bridges, radio producer at the BBC, um, shortly after, I think you were at Cambridge, and then again, maybe yes, that's 18 right. months later... I wrote to him because he came to see me in the Footlights Review of 1962 and I wrote to him again to remind him that he'd seen me and could he help me to get an audition. And he did. 
it took a while, but he did get me an audition with the BBC Drama Repertory Company, and I did a terribly good audition. And they asked me to come and work for them. And so I did. I had a good job, and it lasted for about two years. And then I went into rep in Leicester, and then into rep in Edinburgh. And um, then I came back to London and just waited for something to happen and nothing much did really for quite a while i always got the sense from the book that i got this feel of persistence and there was a tenacious side to you there wasn't you know you were then perhaps post cambridge you were set on this idea of being a professional actor and that was then you got to find your way and you did that via your voice yes i think i i knew that i had uh, talent and that it must be used. I wasn't ever really sure what to do with that talent, and so it seemed many other people weren't either. But eventually it, it did get used, and I I went up the, the scale a bit, and um, well, I got a job in Fiddler on the Roof, and that was exciting. I was the matchmaker. Were you always confident and extroverted? Was that always part of who you were and... I mean, you're known for that. I think I am known for that. And um, I don't think I'm unusual in having confidence for the work I do, but I was just sure that I was good and I was going to keep going until somebody else shared that opinion, which they did eventually, but it took a while. <laughs> when do you think people cottoned on and thought, oh, actually, Miriam, you know, she's a force to be reckoned with here? Well, I don't think it was really until 1974 when I did The Girls of Slender Means for Moira Armstrong. And um, Clive James gave me a good review in The Observer, which I'm terribly grateful for. And that alerted people to the fact that I really was quite a clever little lass. Are you familiar with most of the reviews that are out there about you in terms of performances? Was that something you, you, you looked at? I think in the early days I did, but now I tend not to look at reviews. I don't want to know what people have said. It's always disappointing what they've said. I don't <laughs> ever feel I get as good a review as I should. I also think that nowadays it's just bloody everywhere, especially with social media. There's Everyone's got an opinion and it's it's very easy to kind of push that about. Yes, I think you're right. But um, my place in the business now seems fairly assured i i hope i hope i don't i don't know for sure but it seems so and people are always very flattering and praising of of what i do and i'm not always deserving of that praise but i always accept it <laughs> gracefully i hope we said at the beginning about um this sort of viral fame what do people now say to you when they see you in the street What's the most obvious thing if they spot you? I mean, obviously, I know you talk to people at your doorstep, but what's the sort of typical interaction you get these days? Well, the nice thing is if I'm in the street, people come up to me and say, oh, I love you, and they want to cuddle me, <laughs> and I always push them away because of COVID, because I'm nervous, which is rather uh, ungenerous and rather rude, but I don't want to catch COVID just because they, they want to give me a cuddle. So I'm a bit nervous yeah. of that. But it's very nice to be to be recognised. I like being recognised. I, I will admit that. I think there was something your school friend said. Um, there was this desire for you to be liked. And you said that's never really changed since then. I guess it must be then those sort of interactions in the street must be quite heartwarming, I guess. Oh, yes, they are. 
it's lovely when people say nice things. I I just I just cream in my knickers. I love it. <laughs> oh gosh. Actually, you know what? When I've when I've mentioned that we're speaking to you on the podcast to friends and colleagues, their eyes light up, and there's uh, there is this sort of expectation for, well, probably the outrageous, but also the warmth as well. There is a, there is a lot of love. Let me ask you about Hollywood because you had a really quite interesting experience. That I think it was in the late eighties, wasn't it? You kind of get this uh, this a big American break. Yes, um, that's right. What was that whole experience like for you? It was unreal. <laughs> Uh, Hollywood is not a real place. It's a, a collection of fictions that we all share between us. Um, I, I enjoyed my time in Hollywood, and I met some lovely people who are still my friends. But it isn't real. And I think that if you subscribe to it too much and get hooked in, you can go slightly balmy. Because I suppose there was a lot of, I guess, a lot of American agents promising things and, you know, expectations around what to expect over the coming years, going to be this huge star in the US. I never thought I would be a, a huge star in the US, and I was quite right, I wasn't. My My show that I did, which was called Franny's Turn, failed. And I was let go and nobody rang me. I became a non-person. Very quickly it happened. And then I went back to England and started again. And it all went very well. So I, I think that you can long for things that are not real. And when they don't happen, it can be very destructive. It's important to have a sense of reality, of what is possible. Why do you think it did fail? Was it just uh, just didn't quite resonate with audiences or...? Well, I wasn't what they wanted. I didn't have what they wanted. And I'm not sorry, because I think if I'd become trapped in the character and it had gone on to be an incredible success year after year, you do become trapped. And I would have hated that. I don't know about you, but I feel like failure and vulnerability, actually, well, certainly failure is a good thing because it can get you to start afresh and... Yeah, can yes. you drive later on. Of course, but you, you, you mustn't be defined either by failure or success. These are just little blips on the way. You, you have to be prepared to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and start all over again. And I've always been prepared to do that. I suppose, also, I mean, we're talking three, four years later, you then win a BAFTA for The Age of Innocence. Yes, I did. And that was a success, and I didn't expect to win, so I was very gratified and pink with pleasure when it happened. But it, it doesn't, um, it didn't translate into long-term success. It was a nice thing to have happened. And I'm proud of it, I am, because I think I gave a good performance. But I've given other good performances which have not been recognised or noticed. So one should just uh, go with the flow and... Be philosophical, not expect too much. I think age has given me a perspective now which I am able to bring to bear on that kind of conundrum of success or failure. I don't think we should concentrate on such things. They are self-defeating. Mm. 
Who taught you the idea of uh, resilience? Is that something that was installed in you through your parents, or is that just through, you know, going through job to job as a, as an actor, just kind of developed over time? Yes, I think the latter. I I, I don't think that I have extra special powers of resilience. I think that if you're a freelance artist, you win some and you lose some, and you develop a an interest in the ones that interest you, and that, that's it. I want to ask you another plot twist question, Miriam. You mentioned Heather before. Um, if we took her out of the occasion, maybe looked more at your career, has there been somebody that has been an unexpected source of inspiration, somebody that's come along that you, you wouldn't have foreseen that has influenced you or perhaps changed your story a little bit? I think Peter Hall very much influenced me. I worked for him four times. He was a very famous director long before I came across him and it was very exciting to to be noticed by him and asked to work repeatedly for him which I did with with joy I think he was everything that this country needs as a director and he was um he was convinced that he was right always so he wasn't particularly humble but he had such drive and such cunning and power over people. He he was a wonderful man. I loved him. I feel like some people almost have a... They, they bring an energy, don't they? It's just in who they are. Was that the case with him? Yes, I think it was. I think he, he knew how to inspire, and he was very learned. He had uh, studied at Cambridge. He was a great student, a great scholar, and he brought Shakespeare alive. And he knew about Shakespeare and he knew how Shakespeare worked and he shared his knowledge with the people who were interpreting. It was a joy to work for him, it really was. And, and highly influential, I mean, he founded the Royal Shakespeare Company, didn't he, and director of the National Theatre. And Yes, he was a power in the land and we miss him dreadfully. I've got a new plot twist question just for you, Miriam. I asked some friends... What would you say to Miriam? What would you ask her? And obviously, bearing in mind, this is called the Plot Twist Podcast. They asked about a, a plot twist in your love life. Now, I know you've mentioned Heather, but perhaps let's maybe say pre-Heather. Is there, was there a sort of a unexpected moment that you can think of? No, I think there was a post-Heather. There was a, a, a rather unfortunate episode when I went to America and I fell in love with a, a very un, unscrupulous lesbian professor who was the absolute opposite of Heather, who is the soul of honour and probity. Now, this woman was really beyond the pale, and she she enjoyed stringing me along, seeing me flounder and adore her too much for the wrong reasons. And in the end, I had to go to a therapist to get rid of it, to get rid oh, of no. that. Uh, but I I met this wonderful therapist called Margaret Branch, who set me right. She put me onto the right road and I've been well-nigh perfect ever since. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, you know, a good therapist is, I think that's some, I don't know whether it's a British attitude, isn't it, with stiff upper lip, I think it's really important. I think it's important to talk and to address your concerns, your worries, your issues. Well, if you're lucky enough to find the right person, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's just yeah. brilliant. 
if you're not, you can be landing up with a, in a worse situation than before. But I was lucky. I found a good woman, and um, she put me right. How long was that episode? You know, where you were essentially being strung along. Oh, I think about four years. Oh wow! Rather too long. What a waste of time. Were you always open with Heather about what was in, in your No, mind, I in wasn't. I was ashamed and embarrassed that I had betrayed her, so I wasn't open about it. Eventually I was, but I think it dented our relationship very severely. Mm. I don't think people should muck about. Don't gamble with your happiness. Yeah, because I think once you have it, then why would you, why would you risk it, mm. I suppose? Is, is that your biggest regret? Is that... Yes, I think it probably is, because I had something indescribably wonderful, and I, I trashed it, and that was stupid. But then you have had this wonderful fifty-four years together. Obviously, we spoke about the secrets earlier. It's part of it that also that you haven't always been in each other's pockets. That there has been that sort of space at times that you have. I know she's worked in Amsterdam. You've been in London. You've been in LA, these different places. Does that, has that helped? You know, you can't make rules about love and relationships. Everyone is different. Every person is unique. And you have to study the person and let them teach you how to behave and how to treat them. I certainly know now that I would never do that again. I did mention earlier on that one thing in the book is uh, you mentioned the sort of the smut, the naughtiness. If you're reflecting, looking back at some of those stories, what do you find perhaps the most amusing or tickles you upon reflection? What stories? What do you, to what do you refer? Well, there, there might be the, the Newnham bike shed or the Hungarian student. What would... <laughs> <laughs> you're... you're uh... You're definitely honing in on the sexual areas of my life. And I must say, I think that is slightly inappropriate, given that I'm 81 and I haven't seen a cock since the Second World War. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't want to talk about, about sex because it's, it, it, doesn't have a, it, it doesn't have a burning reality for me anymore. I'm not interested in it. I'm interested for other people. I like to hear about other people's sexual activities and I hope they're having lots of fun and doing it well. But um, it doesn't really impinge on my life anymore. And I don't want it to. I want to have a, a peaceful exit. I don't want it to be all jumbled up with anxiety over, over love and so no, on. No, it's more just, I suppose, your character being you know, outrageous at times and being an extrovert. What, what are the sort of memories that, that stand out? But no, I can understand. Well, you know, I think I've always been uh, pretty outspoken and, and, and naughty, but it, I'm never as amazed by it as other people seem to be. So things that other people would have found ex astonishing are not astonishing to me. They're just run of the mill. Well, I, I think it's because you're a brilliant storyteller. I think it's probably because... Well, that's nice <laughs> no, of do. you to say so. I really do. I really do. Because I don't think anybody is expecting that next line. It's been built up in such a way that nobody's expecting the next, the next part, the next chapter. I think that's part of the genius. Well, thank you. 
what's uh, what's next for you, Miriam? Because uh, is it true that you might be doing another book? Is that yes, it is absolutely true. To? Yes, I'm going to write another book. I'm going to Italy, where I have a farmhouse, and I'm going to sit in the Tuscan winter and um, and fashion another story, another book. I don't know what I'm going to put in it. It's going to be quite interesting to find out. Because I'm not really a writer. That's something that came very late in life and rather surprisingly. But it will happen and I will do that. And I will enjoy it. Did you enjoy it the first time round? Was it nice to reflect upon those, your, your, essentially your life, I suppose? Looking back on my life, which is what I seem to be doing, I don't want to look back. I want to look forward. I want to create new possibilities, new personalities have travels that I haven't been on before. I don't want to just be a repository of memory. I, I want to be a repository of activity. What's, if you had a, a sort of a bucket list of, of things to do, what's on your list if there was you know, certain things you could tick off? A lot of it would be travel. I'd like to go back to India. I'd like to go back to Indonesia. I'd like to go to Finland and Estonia. I've never been there. So I, I'd like to round off my life with with little travels and and see how I got on that sort of thing I mean if you want to make a documentary at the same time I think we'd we'd be very grateful well I probably will because I'm doing masses of documentaries I'm doing one in Ireland about Lady Gregory who was the friend of WB Yeats and I'm doing one about Scotland with Alan and about America with Alan Um, and I'm going to do another one about Australia then I shall probably stop for a bit and have a think because you don't want to keep running past yourself if you're not thinking at the same time. And I need to think. I need to evaluate and um, digest all that's happened to me. Well, Miriam, thank you so much for coming on Plot Twist. uh, Love chatting to you. Absolutely thrilled that we've had you on. I look forward to reading the next book. And uh, good luck with all your travels. That's so nice of you. Thank you very, very much for asking me to, onto your programme. Uh, no, you don't call it a programme anymore, do you? It's a podcast. To me, it's a programme. But anyway, whatever it is, it was nice. It was fun. And you were very we pleasant to program. talk to. Oh, thank you so much. You take care. Thank you. All the best, my dear. Bye-bye. Big, big thank you to Miriam Margulies. That was such a balanced interview. And also, Fran, she was just so warm and so charming. Yeah, she really was a wonderful guest. She's so interesting, such a multi-faceted woman with such mm. incredible life experiences. Um, but she does then flip, doesn't she, between saying something quite sort of profound and serious and then throwing something out that just made me burst into, into laughter. <laughs> yeah. There was a couple of times where she caught me off guard with the sort of that remark at the end. And, I, you know, you just yeah. have to laugh, don't you? Um, and that's the thing, I think, because I, I think probably we were probably guilty of that before, before the interview and thinking that, you know, you expect the outrageous, you expect the sort of cheekiness and the naughtiness. But I felt from the interview, she's much more self-aware than what you might think after watching on Graham Norton, for example, 
you know, mm. it's much more of a balance to her and, and a very considerate and curious woman. Yeah, definitely. I think she just knows... I think she just knows how to work a crowd, you know. I think she's yeah. I think she's unashamedly herself, which makes her amazing. That. And like you say, she's just a very, very wonderful woman who has, it appears, has many layers. But, you know, don't we all, Tom? Don't we all? We all do. We did talk about, though, TikTok at the start, and it made me laugh how she was just like, I'm completely bewildered by that. Like, I, I don't understand <laughs> yeah. what the interest is, which probably makes her even more endearing for people to watch. Yeah, it was a very humble response. Oh gosh, there were so many bits that she said. The reactions to people, that was good fun. I thought mm. some of those might provoke a response or two. John Cleese, um, what a complete shit. Loved that. Yeah. <laughs> Loved that. <laughs> Although it was hilarious that she was like, why are the Kardashians famous? Or the cards, as I like to not, call them. <laughs> not interested. Not interested. I thought her plot twist was very sweet, obviously calling out Heather. Been together 54 years. Which such is just a long time. Remarkable. And still such an endearing reflection of that relationship, the way she was talking about it. I enjoyed the question where he said, what's her tip for long-lasting love? And she said it's to look at someone fully. Like yeah. Look them in the eye, yeah. see them for what they are, accept them for what they are. And that, that is so true. I've never because we we've we've mentioned that on the podcast a few times where there's been uh, our guests have had successful relationships and you do go down that territory and ask them what the secret is and from their own perspective but I haven't had someone respond like that that was a little bit different. Mm, it was lovely. It had like a very pure answer, didn't it? Mm. But also, I guess another plot twist in what she said later on about you know years later actually that she fell in love. I know. And had to confront that. I didn't know about that. That was quite. No, I didn't profound. either. I was quite thrown off by that because obviously yeah. we'd, ju we'd just been talking to her about Heather and kind of the fact they'd been together for such a long time. So that kind of took me a bit by surprise, but love her honesty about that and accepting well, yeah, that, exactly that she just worked with a therapist, got herself on the right path. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating chat. Yeah, really, really honest throughout and a real balance with it, with the conversation. It was, um, yeah, big thank you to Miriam. You need a bit more Miriam in your life. Obviously, there's Graham Norton. Who doesn't? Norton. Who doesn't? But Harry Potter, Professor Sprout, all films are available to watch on now. And The Reunion, I think. Yeah, which was also fabulous. So I know what I'll be doing until next week's episode. Yeah, very productive. Well, on that note, <laughs> thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. We'll see you then. Oh, 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 oh.